Greetings and welcome to the Net Positive Podcast. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and today I'm joined by Monica Campagna, an artist, an activist who lives here in Glendale, California, and who has been very instrumental in shaping this community. Monica, welcome to the Net Positive. I'm delighted to do this episode with you and you're somebody who I have gotten to know a little bit through work and in the neighborhood works. And I just admire what you've done with your community activism. And uh, so welcome. Thank you, Ted. I, I am absolutely honored to be here today. I've been listening to your podcast and just, yes, very honored to be in such company. Well, uh, <laughs> terrific, terrific. And uh I'll just sort of spill the beans. We're going to get into talking about the Glendale Environmental Coalition and how you and Dan and Kate and others really spearheaded an incredible movement. And but to, to, try, to, to try to get some context, uh, I, I don't know that much about you. I'm delighted to kind of learn a little bit more about you and your background. And I gather you were born and raised in the Baltimore area. Yeah, I was born in Pennsylvania. I'm a child of the woods and grew up in mostly though in Baltimore City. And my background is actually as an artist. I was a dancer. I studied dance for many years at the uh, Baltimore School for the Arts and went on to Temple University and explored from a very young age, my passion for choreography, creating community through dance and movement, um, running improvisational dance workshops and just creating. I love creating in many forms, costumes, um, as well as dance. And that, and that's, it sounds very exciting. That is still going on in your life, if I understand right. You know, it's funny, but sometime after my son was born around 2008, you know, a few years after that, I really, I started to turn a corner into new territory. I think the work I was doing with my dance company really was skewing towards conversations about the environment, the climate crisis, about plastics pollution. And as I was nesting, <laughs> I, I turned more into an, uh, an activist, slowly but surely. <laughs> so yes. now I'm not doing as much in the artistic world as I, as I did for decades before. It was my passion in life for, for so long. Yeah, I loved it, but now I have a new love. <laughs> How did that play out that you get from, got from Baltimore with all this rich dance in Philadelphia? Well, Philadelphia is where I went to, to college at Temple University. I, I went there to study with um, one of my mentors, Helmut Gottschild. He's a student of uh, Mary Wigman, a German expressionist uh, dancer really um, an incredible artist. And so I, I wanted to be there to work with him. And then I, I ended up uh, joining a, a company called Group Motion after that, after graduating. I studied anthropology as well during college. I, I was very fascinated by, by actually our own culture and looking at our own you know, selves here in this country, actually even more than, than studying other cultures, which I love too. But I, I was really back then even looking at our consumerist ways, our, our, our loss of attachment to our bodies, to our, uh, to dance, to forms of expression. And, and, you know, 
I felt and still feel that there is a loss that happens slowly over time, connection with nature being a big one of them. But yeah, I, I worked with Group Motion for many uh, years in Philadelphia, and I came out here in about 1995 or so, and uh, started my company, Trip Dance Theater, which was a, a music and dance, contemporary dance ensemble um, with many musicians and dancers. And we did lots of shows around here and, and also in other states, um, the Ford Amphitheater, the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, lots of small theaters, lots of museums. Um, and that work really was a lot about the human connection or loss of connection to nature, loss and connection and refining connection to your body. And then, like I said, transitioning a lot to our connection, not only to nature, but to the destruction of nature and to not only destruction of nature, but also destruction of ourselves by destruction of nature. So I wanted to give people a way to do something about it. So, you know, in our last show called Poisoning the Well, which uh, ran for several weeks at a small theater in Hollywood, um, actually in the program, I started giving people ways to connect with their legislators or make input on bills that would actually do something about the issues we were dancing about. And that felt good. That felt like a way to make a bigger connection and, and bigger impact. I, I want to just go back all the way up to Baltimore for a okay. second. <laughs> what did your parents like form this Monica Campagna? Oh, well, they're both artistic yeah. themselves. They are artistic. And my father was a landscape architect and singer, beautiful tenor. Uh, he was a landscape architect though by profession and he uh, worked for the city of Baltimore as a, one of the street urban street tree planning planners. And boy, back then he always wanted me to learn about plants. I mean, he was telling me everything and I of course had no interest whatsoever. <laughs> I just wanted to play in the woods. Um, now, you know, I, he passed away sadly in, in 1992. I wish he was still here because I have a huge passion for, for, for plants, for gardening, for attending I attend a campus here now, an elementary school campus. I love native plants. So we would have had a lot to talk about. You know, he was much more familiar with the back East plants. And I have these out here now as my, close to my heart, so. <laughs> but yeah, both of them were 100% behind myself and my sister's uh, pursuit of our artistic careers. There was never a question whether it was okay or not to do that for a living. So, yeah. Well, you, yeah. you're obviously, you're, you're thriving in life. And <laughs> let's go to Franklin Elementary School. I'm not sure this is chronologically right, but you were able to introduce me to what you've done there. You just mentioned you've been taking care of the, the native planting there. And I was able to witness uh, the, the incredible, I call it micro recycling, but it's this incredibly diligent recycling going on around the cafeteria and you and others, other involved parents were able to get a grant and get this big tray washing machine to kind of eliminate a huge <laughs> solid waste. So this was, talk a little bit about that school and how you did sure. that. Absolutely. And I, first off the bat, I definitely am not a one person machine over there. It's many, many people over a long period of time that um, 
transformed the campus itself, the physical campus. And then um, myself and another uh, parent there, Karen Nielsen, were very instrumental in spearheading a lot of the, the, the green lunchroom, we call them green lunchroom um, activities. So I'll start with the campus screening. I actually, yes, it was in correct chronological order because uh, as a parent with a young child at the school, I got involved pretty early in the green team. And at that time, uh, the green team was taking care of a small uh, vegetable garden for the kids and then some tree plantings that they had been successful in, in getting done. Um, during That was in about, 2014 or so. And then in during that time, and even before I got to the school, three moms, and it seems, I'm sorry, Ted, but it's often the moms, <laughs> for whatever reason, got together and wrote uh, a $1 million urban greening grant using Prop 84 funds, which were uh, from the state of California, specifically to mitigate stormwater uh, loss. This project took five years to uh, get the funding for and to implement, uh, but it happened. And the city of Glendale participated as long as well as, of course, Glendale Unified School District, who were extremely helpful and supportive during the process. And out of that came a complete transformation of the school campus to all native California native plants and trees, bioswales. Um, stormwater capture systems. And I became the lead caretaker back then in about the fall of 2016. And I still am today. And now I actually am paid through the foundation for my um, efforts uh, after volunteering for about seven years. Uh, that say the campus is at least two acres. I, I don't know the official number, but it's large and I do have some help, um, thankfully. And I love it. It's it's an amazing oasis for monarch butterflies. Now we have a huge amount of milkweed there, which probably the most in this urban environment of Glendale that, that exists. Um, oak trees, desert willows, sages, all types of toy, all types of native plant. And we have um, the, the, the birds and the butterflies and the bees that come with that. So it's it's a pleasure to be there and the kids love it. The staff, of course, loves being there too. So that happened. And part of um, my, you know, spillover into the next phase was, okay, how about we start a worm bin program? <laughs> and I worked with the city of Glendale, get some worm bins donated. And we set up 10 classes with worm bins. I had a lot of fun teaching the kids how to do vermicomposting along with some support from our local worm farmer here in Glendale, as well as some city staff that came in and talked to the kids. And we, you know, and there's this process of really trying to teach the idea of um, recycling our waste and using it and making use of it and, and, and it being a circle, a circular kind of thing. And then regenerative uh, landscaping and using it to, to build our soil there on the campus, which we really need to do. It's constant mulching, Ted mulch, mulch, and more mulch. <laughs> so worm bins got set up and then I was like, oh, we need a water bottle filler. So we got the, we, we got the foundation to cover the cost of that. And then the district put it in for us. And now it, that, that is something common in a lot of our Glendale schools now. And hopefully they're going to just continue to add more. 
Um, and then we expanded to other things. We did a waste audit and we found out that, you know, we have a lot of food waste. We had a lot of plastics going in with the food waste. Our Karen and I and the other uh, people on the newly formed PTA Green Lunchroom Committee then spearheaded all these other efforts. Uh, we, we started with uh, a share table where kids can donate food that they can't eat, don't open from the cafeteria that other kids can share. We moved into a sorting program, the first in the district, probably very few schools in our county have such a thing, but we wanted to um, prepare for a new law that's coming up in California in January, SB 1383, which will uh, require all businesses, including schools and including municipal districts to keep organic waste and food, edible foods out of the landfill, which of course is to prevent the uh, methane emissions that come with that. And that was probably our biggest program because it took a lot of time um, to figure it out with the district. Our principal was utterly supportive and probably this never would have happened without her, Principal Cully over at Glendale, who calls our cafeteria Shea Cully. <laughs> and she's there helping the kids sort. We sort out our, uh, our liquids from the from the trash, we put our trash in the trash. There is recycling put in there, but we have a hauler that separates that if there is anything that's actually usable for recycling. And then the most important thing is we have all the kids put just food waste in the food waste bin and that gets taken off site for off site composting. And then our final um, green initiative in the lunchroom was the successful um, acquisition of, of a dishwasher from Hobart, which we have to thank um, one of our PTA leads for making that happen, Michael Bridges. And the deal was they donated this, I think it's a $20,000 dishwasher, in return for being able to study the cost savings over a year at the school. And what they found was that in a year we saved about $6,000. So you know, you can kind of then figure out how long the payoff is going to be if you install one of these dishwashers. So it was really helpful for them to be able to, to show that and to itemize what those savings were. Uh, so now we have reusable forks and other utensils and reusable trays, which are compartmentalized for the food. And all that's happening. We just, we had to, of course, stop during COVID, but I just trained the kids again a couple weeks or last week and a half ago now or so, and things are starting to get up and running again. We had such a great time coming down and visiting the campus at lunch hour. Here. I find that the, that the children are better at learning this stuff and understanding it than the grown-ups. <laughs> yeah. If I'm honest, you know, it's easy for them to, to start a new habit. Let's talk about the Grayson Project because this was... Sure. This is just monumental that uh, here was this utility, municipal utility serving a couple hundred thousand people, had sort of an old sprawling power plant with seven or eight or nine units of all sort of stages of disrepair. And, and uh, they came forward and decided to tear most of it down and build a, what was it, 262 megawatt uh, right. power plant mm -hmm. that was going to be used not only by the city of Glendale, but likely for other, the other communities. And 
you and Dan and uh, Kate, and you're going to list other people, said, why on earth are we building a, a natural gas power plant that's going to need to be amortized, amortized over 30, 40 years if, if we're trying to decarbonize as rapidly as possible? So what was the genesis? What was, this, what was the spark? When, when, did that, when did you guys come together? Well, it was a tiny, tiny bit before my time, but I can speak about it. Um, I came in within six months of this. So the genesis of this project was really around June 2015, when that 262 megawatt proposal was put forward. And then in about 2007, I'd say Dan Brotman, our current city council member, um, then founder of Glendale Environmental Coalition, um, wrote the first op-ed in the Glendale News Press about the project. And after that, he launched a Facebook group that maybe had about 30 people in it. This is around August of 2017 now. The big spark was when um, Dan and others, including Burke Culver, Kate Unger, Jane Lawton Moore, and there were many others, they formed a coalition with Sierra Club. And Sierra Club really um, helped the group to broadcast the message further to the community. And actually they were able to get, uh, when, the, when the Grayson um, Environmental Impact Report came forward, over a thousand comments. So that was a monumental effort. And I came in at that time, I came in to speak in front of the Glendale Water and Power Commission back then at the Grayson plant. Um, and that was, you know, in uh, 2017 in the fall. And we um, just kept growing bigger and bigger. There were a lot of different uh, stages along the way, um, having people come speak at council. There was a lot of education that we did. You know, we, I think from the very beginning, the idea wasn't to just say no. It was to say, no, why don't you try this? <laughs> and we were very aware of the climate crisis, all of us, and that's and, and air quality issues around that area, that neighborhood. Uh, so the impetus to, to build back better was there from the start. And we didn't feel there was any imagination happening at the time about what that build back could look like. We knew that financially it would be a bad investment because everything's changing now. We have laws that are gonna prevent the use of fossil fuels after 2045 at the minimum. And we knew that these technologies were coming down in price for distributed energy. We knew that um, the technologies were rapidly evolving. And we just, all of us kept asking for better solutions. Um, we, we wrote letters, we, we spoke at council, we, we did op-eds, we did rallies. We had uh, three big rallies in the beginning of um, 2018, which of course took a lot of organizing to get people up to speed on the issues, figure out who was gonna talk about what and get people there. And we had up to 500 or even more people at one of those rallies, they were all in the hundreds. These were the biggest rallies that Glendale City Council had ever seen. So it was clear the community wasn't satisfied with, with the rest of the, the menu. <laughs> So um, well, that really led to a, that led to the council basically um, fast forwarding. I know there was a lot of 
it's hard work in the trenches, like you're telling, but that led to the council basically pulling the plug and ultimately saying, okay, utility, let's not do that. Let's, let's, uh, let's see what else we can get. And they ultimately issued that clean energy RFP, which was set out and just anybody that can deliver solar or fuel cells or microturbines or energy efficiency or whatever right. on the table for utility consideration. Is that That's correct? correct. And that was something we asked for over and over again. They, they did that in, a, I think, May of 2018. And our inspiration for asking for that came from a coalition in the Oxnard area. Um, they had formed around a potential new gas plant there. And we were very inspired by what they did. They, they wanted to connect businesses with opportunities um, that would serve the utilities need. So matching clean energy developers with the utility, they had these big forums where they brought people together. And uh, that out of that process came many projects and now they have a, a huge battery there and no gas plant. So, <laughs> you know, we saw how they did it and we actually wanted to, as I said before, we're always about helping and giving ideas and understanding that this is all new for the city and we've always wanted to be a part of the solution. Uh, at the time, they weren't interested in having us help uh, organize a meet and greet like that, but they did go forward with the request for clean energy proposals. And out of that came, I think, five projects, four of which they moved on, if I'm right, or three or four. So yes, that was great. And that, that uh, outcome uh, came a year later, and that was two years ago now. And when that came back to council, um, we still understood that they they were going to propose more gas, new gas, possibly the last gas purchased in the state. And we asked council to please put a pause on this and have them keep looking for more resources in this next couple of years and come back with another proposal with hopefully a lot less gas in it. And here we are now. So that happened. Unfortunately, there is not less gas. It's the same amount. And our uh, group is definitely advocating for more research and more another round of RFPs. We're particularly interested to see what can happen in the commercial sector. Um, we're very excited to hear that there's new transmission coming into Glendale on the IPP, which we're hoping can change the, um, some of the reasons that we're uh, behind wanting to install more, more new gas turbines. We, we know we need more capacity here in the city to fill those batteries. So it's all about solar now. It's all about solar, getting solar on parking lots, rooftops, et cetera. But, um, and there are a lot of projects along the way. We, we were incredibly excited about um, the potential virtual power plant that will happen here, which could be the largest in the nation. And GEC early on was out there collecting signatures and in contact information from people for this potential power for this potential virtual power plant years ago. We have about 350 people who joined that list, and um, we're still collecting names. Um, we did a huge mapping project to show where there might be potential large commercial rooftops and parking areas that could be utilized. We did an essential. Uh, 
essential services uh, study, which showed different things in the city that you would want to have battery storage and solar installed in case of emergencies that would need backup. We've done a lot of things like that that we're hoping can contribute to these solutions here in Glendale. Yeah, I think you deserve a, a ton of credit and the results are, are dramatic. Uh, there's no 262 megawatts on the table anymore. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, we've sort of gone from what 160 up to 262. Now we're down to 90. Uh, 93 or so. Yeah. And, and a 50 megawatt battery and some uh, a pretty dramatic change. I, I'm hearing in your voice that you wish we were moving so faster, which. Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't know that there's an urgency that we've needed the last few years to look for more. And that is definitely something we are going to be expressing our our views on <laughs> because we do think there's more out there there's there nothing's really happened in the commercial sector yet um we, we know we're waiting for a cost of services analysis to figure out a good fit rate but for example if we had a great feed-in tariff program that matched los angeles's you know we would be able to probably get rid of one of those engines you know it's just like looking at solutions to replace this fossil fuel use that we're quite concerned if we build it, uh, other cities in their area will want to use it. And we're very concerned about limits being placed on the use because of that. Uh, we don't want to become the gas power provider for this region. So. And, and then Dan Brotman, who founded yeah. the Environmental Coalition, ran for council and won. And right. uh, we've got a council that is... Uh, Certainly got the opportunity to be to, to lean green on on key issues, and and then Dan, of course, has appointed commissioners. I'm one of his commissioners, as you know well. To- Very happy about that. Yes, GEC has many tentacles, and having Council Member Dan Brotman in where he is now, um, every time something comes up where a change is possible, say there's a new project, a new resurfacing street project, a new building project, a new way to approach an ordinance. Um, He's thinking sustainability. He's thinking about how can we build back better? And we think that way too. And the more you learn, of course, the more (laughs) ideas you have spinning around. Oh, we can turn this parking lot into a cooler space by XYZ, you know, and that is what he's bringing into the culture of the city now. This way of thinking, of thinking about every decision from that point of view, what's the most sustainable way we can do this? And of course it's gonna take time, but there are other council members are also doing this as well. So it is really becoming kind of like who can outdo the other at this point. <laughs> and I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I think we are quite happy with all the progress that's been made on many fronts of late. Having Dan in there, you know, he's able to introduce ideas that our Glendale Environmental Steering Group has set as priorities that he also has set as priorities. And those cover many areas. Um, Clean energy is one. And electrification is another, electrifying all our landscaping equipment, our new building code being uh, possibly having a reach code to um, encourage electrification of new building electrifying our city vehicle fleet, which is something that the city is pursuing. And back to the landscaping equipment, I mean, a huge 
really uh, bravo to the city. They've, they've committed to electrifying all of their parks and public spaces. I mean, this is huge. They're, they've put the money there for converting all of their uh, gas-powered small engine landscaping equipment to electric. And this is an area that is just profoundly um, impacted by ozone. So not only is it better for the climate, it's better for local air quality and of course the workers. So we're so happy about that. Um, there's a lot of initiatives that we support for cooling the city. Cooling schools is something I really care about, but cooling the city in general with cool pavements, which they just started a pilot project for, um, cool roofs, trees, trees and more trees, lots of tree projects, uh, greening campuses at schools and finding new green spaces in highly impacted areas like South Glendale, I know is a priority, not only to Dan, but to the other council members who have uh, really started to get a little more serious about looking for places they can ex expand green space. And many other things, making the city more bikeable, more pedestrian friendly, supporting the Verdugo Wash Project, um, and lots with plastics. There's a lot of good things that have happened on that side too. So we are supporting, and we, we make comment letters. You know, we, we write comments, we call in support, we rally the community to call in support when things are coming up at council. We're very interconnected with policy. I think that's probably the biggest focus we have is, is uh, getting sound environmentally sensitive sustainable policy. It really speaks to the, the whole fabric of sustainability that it, it's just involves so many resources, so many different people, programs, policies, initiatives, financing. It's, it's, but kudos to you and, and certainly to Dan and the other leaders of the coalition, but all the people that have come together because this organization has, uh, I think the case study will be written years from now that this organization came in and really had a, it had a dramatic effect. I, have, I want to ask you just a couple more questions and, and then let you go. But, but one is, um, I think you're a graphic artist. If not, you're, you're a web designer. Yeah. Web yeah. Right. So the, yeah. that creativity from the dance and your activism somehow in the middle there was this graphic artist. That's right. I told you how you're very perceptive. Yes, I uh, supported myself a bit with uh, web design and graphic design all through the years working with a lot of um, other artists. And now I get to work on our GEC.ECO website. And that's great because it's a, become a, a place to provide resources that connect with the community here, like locally focused um, sustainability information, information on what's coming up at council, but also what projects are going on and how residents can participate in things like composting and electrifying their homes, et cetera. So yeah, it's fun to bring all those skills together. I had to learn how to do uh, web design specifically because I had every hat on when I was running my nonprofit organization, the dance company, grant writing, publicity, <laughs> and web design, graphic design. You know, I like doing it all. It makes life interesting that way. <laughs> it's a critical function, right? To, to rally the troops. To, to be able to project your the things that you're doing and your information and project it out so it doesn't stay in this little <laughs> bubble. <laughs> right. Take yeah. that energy and leverage it and uh, broad broadcast it and 
And that's energy, it's enthusiasm, it's logic, everything you're yeah, saying. It brings a lot of people to me specifically about the school greening. I get a lot of, I'm able to meet people and then make connections for bigger projects like with Northeast Trees and recently the Land for Public Trust. You know, we just had a meeting. It's like you just kind of bringing the people who write the grants and do the projects and can offer something to the people that need it. That feels amazing. I love doing that. Last question is about balance and how you maintain balance. But I, I looked on your Facebook page, and I think maybe this explains it. Right at the top, it says you love nature, family, friends, whales, dance, gardening, music, sushi, and chocolate. So I That's would, about right. <laughs> and baths, hot baths. <laughs> you're doing great. So just Thanks, carry on. So great. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for inspiring me too. You really do. All your schoolwork and everything. It's, it's definitely inspired me. So. Very good. <laughs> Thanks again for being part of the net positive and have a great day. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Ted. You too. That's it. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the net positive. We'll see you next time.